So the story is told about four guys on an airplane. Uh, the pilot, um, a priest, the uh, uh, Boy Scout, and the world's smartest man. And there were just these four on this airplane. And as the airplane was flying, eventually the engine went out and the plane started to plummet to the earth. Uh, now, I did not mention originally, but there were also just three uh, parachutes on the airplane. And so when the plane started plummeting, the pilot went ahead and grabbed one of the parachutes and jumped out of the airplane. So much for going down with the ship. But now there are three people and two parachutes left. So it's just the, um, the priest, the Boy Scout, and then the world's smartest man. So the world's smartest man speaks up and he says to the priest and to the Boy Scout, he says, you know, I am the world's smartest man and um, chances are that if I live through this, I'll cure cancer or do some great thing because after all, I am the world's smartest man. So I think it would be best not only for myself, but also for mankind if I took one of the parachutes and I saved my life in this. And so he went ahead, he looked around, grabbed a pack off the floor and out the airplane he goes. So now it's just the priest and the Boy Scout. And the priest looks at the Boy Scout, a young man, and he says, you know, you're a young man. I'm old. I've been around for a long time. I know where I'm going when I die. And, you know, but you've got your whole life ahead of you. And so why don't you go ahead and take the last parachute, save yourself, and I'll, I'll just go down in this kind of thing. And so as he's trying to convince the Boy Scout, the Boy Scout stops him and says, don't worry about it, Father. Actually, the truth of the matter is, is that the world's smartest man just jumped out of the airplane with my backpack. Now, if you are the world's smartest man, the minute you start looking for a ripcord and don't find one, you open the backpack and realize it's got a bunch of Boy Scout supplies in it, your anxiety level immediately begins to skyrocket and even more so as you see the earth approaching on your descent. And so um, I want to just take a minute here to use that really dumb story as a springboard to talk about something that is frankly uh, a very common thing for all of us and that is the question of how do you deal with anxiety. Well there's a passage in scripture you know if you are unaware of if the Bible speaks to this in great detail it actually does and in a couple of places we'll mention today in particular I'd like to focus on that just for a moment. In chapter 4 uh, of Philippians if you've got your Bible ready you always want to make sure you're ready to pull out your Bible and open it up and we're going to be in chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 today. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible and you're prone to underlining or highlighting or whatever you do, this is a great passage to spend a moment grabbing your pen and marking this section. But chapter 4 of Philippians, starting in verse 6, Paul encourages these Philippian believers, and it's probably not a bad point to bring out that Paul is writing this from prison. He's uh, incarcerated, he's not free to do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And so this is the kind of a place where anxiety would probably run high as it is, uh, especially when you're considering the potential implications of being at the hands of Roman uh, authority and justice and those kinds of things. And so Paul, in the midst of a stressful kind of an environment, says these words. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to make a confession. Uh, for a long time, the first part of verse 6 was something that would often be my counsel to people that were 
worrying about something. We're heavily pressed down by anxiety. And when I say pressed down, I mean some people experience anxiety. Uh, more people probably than, than openly admit deal with anxiety at such a level that it feels like literally somebody is standing on your chest. You can't breathe. The pressure of what you are experiencing, what you're internally feeling is so strong as to be debilitating. And so I don't just mean like, oh man, I hope this works out. No, it is absolutely uh, debilitating pressure and stress. Uh, most all of us, uh, I asked someone recently, a group I was talking to, um, you know, how many of you have experienced anxiety? And you know, like a few of them raised their hands and the rest of them lied through their teeth as if to say they were never stressed out. But of course, we all experience stress and anxiety from, some time, uh, from time to time, some excruciatingly so. But when, as a young pastor, when I would counsel people who are experiencing anxiety, I would often quote just those first words, well, be anxious for nothing, the Bible says. Sort of, you know, in the back of my mind, maybe assuming they just sort of knew the rest of the passage, but when you're just saying, be anxious for nothing, uh, that's, that's actually kind of one of the most useless things you could just say. Um, oh, just stop worrying? If, if somebody would have just told me that, it would have been all better. I would have stopped worrying years ago. No, it's it's anxiety is not the kind of thing you could uh, just flip a switch. You know, it's something that festers within us. It it undermines us. It overwhelms us. It it it's the kind of thing that again can be quite debilitating. And Paul's response to his knowledge of what anxiety personally is, because he's of course he's living in a stressful situation, but as he's counseling people as well. Uh, saying to be anxious for nothing. Um, he didn't just say, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Now that is what that means, by the way. Don't worry about anything. But that's not all he said. It actually goes on further than that. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Okay. In other words, don't worry about anything, but in all circumstances, all kinds of pressure, every kind of situation where you would be feeling anxiety, Here's what I would like you to do, Paul is saying, and, and not just Paul, but under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is the counsel he's giving. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, in other words, getting yourself into a, a, a genuine posture of prayer, I, I'm coming before the Lord. Now think about what prayer is. Prayer is coming before the God of creation, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and our loving Father. Jesus himself referred to uh, the Father as our Father, right? Um, and that term there, and the Father, of course, if you if, you know spend time looking at the passage, you know it's a very intimate term. In, in, in a way, it's almost like saying daddy kind of a thing. Like a child would come to a father and, and know that he's welcome there and that daddy's got it kind of a thing. You know, and then Jesus would go on to explain the kinds of things that are okay to pray for. Things like our daily bread, things like uh, his kingdom coming and will being done on earth as it is in heaven. All those different kinds of things. The, 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 the wonderful opportunity is to come to God like that. Okay, so be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make a request known to God. God who is not a stranger, God who is not just a distant being and some remote place in the universe or some kind of thing where he, you know, is so busy that he doesn't have barely has time to respond. No, none of that kind of thing. When Jesus spoke about prayer, he spoke about prayer and persistence and expectancy, uh, a sense of the welcome 
uh, of, of the child again with with his father um, um, the idea that we can lay anything at the feet of the one who is great enough to deal with anything and so with prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus the peace of God okay the peace that God experiences um, I, I know I can't see your answer per se but let me just ask you I guess kind of rhetorically but what are the kinds of things that God worries about you know um, what kinds of things keep him up at night you know and make him scratch his head and think oh my gosh how in the world am I going to deal with that well, I didn't see that coming, or, oh man, wow, I, I, what am I going to do here? Well, the answer is nothing. Nothing keeps God up at night. Nothing stresses God out. Nothing pushes God to the point where he just freaks out and doesn't know what to do and gets anxious or something. The peace of God, the peace that God himself experiences, the sense that this is under total control. God has got this thing. That's the kind of peace he invites us to experience Upon laying our burdens at his feet, the implication there is that we not hold on to it and take it with us, but we leave it there. We bring our request to the Lord and we leave it with him. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 26, uh, verse 3, that you will keep him, speaking of the Lord, the Lord will keep him at perfect peace, whose mind is stayed or fixated upon him, upon the Lord, because he trusts in you. Uh, that idea of perfect peace is actually the same Hebrew word, shalom, shalom, in both of those. And so it's double peace, um, you know, uh, extreme peace kind of a thing. Uh, you'll keep him at extreme, perfect peace, total, absolute peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And it goes on to speak about trusting the Lord who is strong in this kind of thing. Um, and this peace that is described here by Paul is not a peace that necessarily brings with it explanation. It surpasses the mind and it guards the heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Warren Wiersbe used to talk about how God hasn't uh, asked us to live on promises, or I'm sorry, he hasn't asked us to live on explanations, but he's asked us to live on promises. It is a... Uh, crazy thing to think that I could fully understand all the means at God's disposal to work things out. Um, you know, you think about just in Jesus' own ministry where it came time to pay taxes and Peter's like, well, where do we get, is it okay to pay taxes and all this kind of thing? What do we do and where are we going to get it and all that kind of thing? And Jesus just tells this fisherman to go down to the, the shore and go catch a fish. And he catches the fish and there's a coin that is of the value they need for their taxes. Um, Okay, that's crazy. Like, when does that ever happen? I've, I've never been able to pay my taxes that way. But God can produce resources from anything. Uh, got thousands of people to feed? Got a basket with, uh, you know, a couple of little fish and a couple of crackers and that? Feed multitudes. Um, God can do things that we can't begin to understand. And to try and figure out how he does it, who knows? But the point isn't that we can't be helped unless we can understand how the help comes. The idea is that we just simply leave it in the hands of the one who can do something about it and then leave it there and not sweat it. Because, not just, hey, just teach myself not to worry, 
I don't have to worry because I know it's in the hands of the one who manages providence, the one who is sovereign and does the things he wants to do um, and is not restricted by matter and time and space and these kinds of things, but rather can work in ways that we can't even begin to understand. And this is what guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that he's got it. We don't have to worry. Well, naturally, we also want to consider what about when God doesn't answer prayer the way that I want him to? Well, that is another thing. And that is an important thing for us to consider because uh, even though all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ, doesn't mean that he always answers prayer the way that we think he should. Or maybe a better way to put that is the way that we think is best. There are a lot of things that God does differently than I would do, and it it does seem to me that he doesn't need the benefit of my insights, and I'm a little confused by that because I, I think I've got a good grip on how things ought to go, but he doesn't seem to ask me what I think about this stuff. He just sort of does what he's going to do, and typically, if I'm willing to be humble enough to recognize it, I begin to see the wisdom in him doing things the way that he does. Um, I've shared in the past um, when uh, my family and I moved down here to Tennessee from Illinois, um, in in many respects, our lives fell apart. Uh, debt and uh, job fell through and mortgages due, all kinds of stuff like this that just really left us, our heads reeling. You know, we, we thought, well, but Lord, I, I thought we were in your will in this move and I don't know exactly why you brought us here, but we were sure that you brought us here. And, and why is this happening to us and all this kind of thing? And uh, it was uh, really, I mean, it was really, really hard. It wasn't like, uh, you know, I got a flat tire or something. What am I going to do? No, I mean, like our world was falling apart. And we didn't really know anybody. Very few people that we really know. All of our long-standing relationships, by and large, were still up in, ten, uh, up in Illinois. So we felt very alone. Just it was it was a really 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 hard time, and um, and we prayed like Lord, please deliver us from this. Like you know, should we go back? I mean, what do we do? We not know how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I mean, just all these questions and things were coming into our minds. In retrospect, as that season eventually came to an end and things passed and the skies cleared and everything and and and. And we got a chance to assess it. Certainly when I look back on it now, I realize the wisdom of God in his not answering the prayer for deliverance that I had been praying for, but there were other things that he had put on my heart to pray for. Make us usable. Help us to learn how to minister to folks here. Teach us what you want us to learn in order to be effective in ministry and those kinds of things. Stretch us. Do what you need to do in our lives. That was the prayer he was actually answering. Turned out he did answer the deliverance prayer uh, oftentimes. Uh, typically, in retrospect, I would have to say he answered it not yet. Eventually, he did. But for that period of time, he ended up teaching us some very, very invaluable lessons that we would not have learned had we not gone through that very uh, deep season. And that occurred to me one day in particular. That, that all kind of came clear to me one day when I was talking to a fellow pastor friend. And... Um, um, he had been going through a very, very difficult time, uh, different than, than ours, but very, very painful, very difficult. And, um, and as we got talking about it, uh, I found myself saying something to him that clearly had come from this place that we had just been. All right, we're actually, we're still kind of in at the time. We weren't totally out of it, but we had sort of moved a little bit beyond it. 
and we're able to kind of see the, you know, see a little more clearly. And I found myself saying, you know, you and I are in ministry, and there are people who minister like they read it out of a book. An example of this would be like back in the day when I would say, well, the Bible says be anxious for nothing and leave it there. You know, there are those who minister like they read it out of a book. You know, here's two Bible verses, call me in the morning, kind of a thing. But then there are those who serve their people like they've walked a mile in their shoes, like they know something about what they might be feeling. None of us really knows exactly what somebody else is going through at any given time. But there is a kinship of suffering. There is a sense of understanding. I can't say I know exactly how you feel, but I do know what it feels like to suffer. And in that, we share something in common. And there is something in that uh, kinship that allows ministry to take place. But you can't do that unless you have experienced difficulty and hardship. Which means that difficulty and hardship um, always have to be seen sort of under or maybe through the lens of what Paul would have said in Romans chapter 8. We probably can recite this verse, right? For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now that verse in isolation is still quite meaningful. But in its context of this Uh, of this working of God to not just solve immediate issues in our lives, but to ultimately build us and prepare us for all that he is doing, ultimately leading to the full redemption that he has planned for us. These are important, deep, meaningful lessons that he teaches us. When all things work together for good, that means that all the things that happen in our lives, every circumstance that a believer finds himself through, those who love God and are called according to his purpose, we know this. Now, God is sovereignly working out all things in in the universe as it is, but a believer has the benefit of knowing that whatever comes our way, whatever storm comes crashing down upon us, whatever uh, suffering we might be enduring right now, it is working together for our good, and we know this. That doesn't immediately necessarily bring me out of it, but it gives me a context through which a perspective by which I can understand or from which I can understand a little bit more, not about why I'm uh, about, about the suffering itself, maybe, or why I'm even enduring it, but knowing that there is a purpose in it. God doesn't waste time with us. He doesn't just frivolously throw difficulties into our lives because he's just doing something. He's just got to occupy us while he works on something else. No, all of these things are working out his purposes and plans. And in each one of us, He is building us. He is working out. He is completing that work that he has begun in us. He's faithful to do that. Well, his faithfulness sometimes to us seems hard or difficult or harsh, but we come through on the other side of it and we realize that, Lord, you've you've done something in me that I see the value of now. And I realize that I would have missed it if I'd not experienced this. So we don't relish in sufferings, but, you know, just by way of some example, if you turn to the beginning of James, uh, there's a passage here that helps us put this in perspective a little bit. Um, right at the outset, James, as soon as he says hi to everybody, he goes right into this in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now right there, you've kind of lost me. Joy? What? Follow along. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or long-suffering, perseverance, endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, 
that you may be perfect, or literally the idea is mature, and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, this, I like to cook. Some of you like to cook. Um, I have a bad tendency even now. I've been cooking for some years. I'm not a chef or anything, but I, I can, you know, I can cook. And I still have this nasty habit of wanting to open the oven and look at something inside the oven. You shouldn't do that. You know, you should let the let time and heat, the two basic elements of cooking, let time and heat do their thing. And when the time, if the heat is at the right temperature and it's been in there long enough, it'll be done right on time. It will be what it's supposed to be. It'll be perfect. It'll be exactly what it's supposed to be. Well, trials are like that furnace. They're like that oven. The time that we're in them, determined entirely by God, by the way, the heat is also determined by God too, but the idea is that it produces something good. It produces something beautiful. It produces something that, from God's perspective, is exactly what it's supposed to be. Let it be our perspective too. But when God answers prayer, he, he's not required to answer it a certain way. He has promised to be faithful. He has promised many things in this regard. But one thing that he hasn't promised is that he's going to answer it exactly the way that we ask it. And sometimes, and this is a hard thing for us to realize, but sometimes when God says no or not yet, that is the best answer that can be. Um, If everything was yes, like right now, yes, that could be hugely problematic in ways that we can't even begin to understand, both personally and even in whatever else. But the truth of the matter is, is that God answers things exactly the way that they should be answered. He answers them right. He does well. He does excellently in all these things. And so knowing this helps us understand that we don't need to be filled with anxiety. We don't need to let this circumstance overcome us because God will do what he's going to do. The rent payment will show up on time or it won't and there will be something that comes of that that is important. Now again, this is hard for us because we see, if I can borrow a little bit out of context, but if we can, if we recognize that we kind of only see the picture somewhat darkly, we understand that the one who is doing and orchestrating these things ultimately sees it perfectly and is accomplishing his purpose. And if we know he's good, and we know his purposes are good, and we can submit ourselves to that, and we can land in the place he wants us to. And so be anxious for nothing, but in all things, in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, your Father in heaven. And the peace of God, God's peace, that perfect peace that casts out fear, will ultimately, as Paul goes on to say, will guard our hearts and minds, in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. And so let's remember the whole passage, underline it, highlight it. Um, Romans 8.28, highlight that. Every now and then, as it's been said, go back and check, make sure it's there. Be reassured that in fact, whatever you're going through right now and you're praying, you're fasting, you're fervently coming before the Lord about, and he doesn't seem to be answering it. He's working even this. This moment that you're in right now is working out by his hand for your good. 
And so be anxious for nothing, but in all things let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Good words to remember and good words to rest upon um, when you find yourself overwhelmed. So Father, we thank you and praise you that you're the God of peace, that you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We thank you that we can count it all joy when we enter various trials, knowing that this is actually producing, the trying and testing of our faith produces patience. And that patience ultimately, when given space to do its perfect work, makes us mature. And so help us to grow and see growth as an important element of what it means to follow you. Help us not to simply uh, rest, uh, f- try to find our rest in the idea that you answer our prayer exactly how we want right this very minute. Sometimes you do, and that can be a joyous thing. But sometimes you do things differently because you see the whole picture. And we can rest in you. And we thank you that our faith is not necessarily built all on explanations. A great deal of it does have explanation. We can't understand it. But there are some things that you ask us just to trust you. And that means we have to know your character. We have to know your nature. We have to know that you are, in fact, a loving father who cares for his children and who is, in fact, working out all things together for our good. Uh, And and that's both in the immediate and even in the ultimate sense. You're working these things out. Lord, we love you and thank you. And we praise you and bless you that we can cast our anxieties upon you. We can make our requests known to you. We can simply come to you and ask and let it be known to you what's on our hearts and on our minds. And we can find rest in knowing that your peace is a gift that you give us to face those circumstances when we know that you're holding them in your hands. Father, we thank you for the pithy but pretty cool expression that we may not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. And so we thank you for your hands being upon us, upon our lives, upon the purposes and plans that you're working out, our every step being ordered by you. We thank you, Lord, where that those steps ultimately lead and the time in between here and there. Help us to trust you, to learn how to trust you more and more each time as these circumstances come our way and become opportunities to see you doing your work. Thank you, Father, for who you are as well as what you're doing. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.